we're uh, talking these days about confessions. And what we have done is we have taken some of the powerful confessions of men and women in the scriptures through all the centuries, and we have sought to uh, bring them home to our own hearts and to our own experiences and make those confessions our confessions. And today we're looking at the person of God as one who is not only a promise maker, but a promise keeper. And one to whom we can look for the very core issues and experiences of life. And uh, when it's all said and done today, it's our hope, it's our prayer that you can confess together, I depend upon God in any circumstance. I depend upon God in any circumstance. Now, to make such a confession will immediately begin to reveal some of your character and some of my character to us, will it not? Because to say that I have need, to say that I depend, implies I'm not self-sufficient. I don't have it all together. And so it calls for humility. So we'll find out, won't we, uh, if we're humble, needy, recognizing uh, how we have to have God play a part in our lives, or the flip side of that is what the Bible calls pride. Not necessarily braggadocious, not necessarily arrogant, just not acknowledging and admitting need and leaning upon God and depending upon God. Somebody says, when you talk about God like that, you make it sound like a crutch. Friends, if we're crippled, we need a crutch. And if you're not crippled, then you're probably not in the right place today because this is a place for crippled people, for broken people, for busted people, for people that don't have it all together to say, I believe God is what I need and I'm going to find a way to lean my life, depend my life upon Him. It's also uh, going to reveal to us not, not only if we have humility, but whether we have faith. Because we're not only confessing today, I am a needy person, but we're saying, I believe God is the answer. I don't believe that my own ingenuity, my own uh, creativity, my own genius, I just need to think better, act better, work better, all that. I, I think it's beyond that. I think it's God. That's the answer to my life's questions and issues. And so, a couple of character pieces already for us. What's the, the level of humility in you? What's the level of faith in you? As we get into this, we're going to be doing so by looking at our friend the Apostle Paul again. And we're going to be focusing on some things that he wrote to his friends in the church in the city of Philippi. And we're going to zero in on chapter 4 of that letter. And I'll just quickly remind you that when Paul first entered the city of Philippi, uh, it was not a great beginning. We talked about it just a couple of weeks ago, that when he entered the city, he got some people upset. He got arrested. They beat him. They threw him into prison. It was not a wonderful start, but it all eventually led to a tremendous church planting experience and a church grew there that became kind of a core support 
to Paul in all the remaining years of his life with all the other missionary journeys that he had conducted. Now, at the time that he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he is in prison again. He just couldn't stay out. And this time he's in a Roman prison. It's like he went from the county jail to federal jail, you know. And uh, he's probably never going to, well, no probably to it. We know the rest of the story. He's not going to get out. He will ultimately be executed uh, in this prison sentence. But he doesn't know that at the time. He just knows it's very precarious. And he writes this letter to his friends in Philippi. And so I want you to just think with me for a moment, because we're, we're approaching the uh, end of the letter. If you were writing a letter to some longtime friends, most of whom had come to faith because of your influence, and you'd had some discipling and mentoring influence them on them through the years, and you want to be able to say one last thing to them. This is probably the last thing that I'll get to say to my friends in Philippi, and uh, I'm writing this letter. What would you say? Well, let's look at what Paul did, in fact, say. We'll pick it up in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, his friends know where he is. They know he's in prison. They know that uh, it does not look well for him. In fact, it looks like he's going to be executed. And so as he has given them a few discipling instructions in the earlier part of the letter, as he comes to the close, then he says... So here's what I want you to really get. Rejoice in the Lord. It's almost as if he knew they would do a double take at that moment. So he goes, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. It will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true... Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Wow. Let's pause there and think about it for just a little bit. What did he just say to them? Well, he said in the first place, I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, I want you to be a people full 
of joy. Rejoicing is an expression of an internal reality. I'm full of joy. I let that overflow into rejoicing. Now, what do they have to be joyful about? What does he have to be joyful about? He's in prison, for goodness sake, awaiting an execution. But Paul, earlier in the letter to uh, the Philippians, had said, you know what? The greatest thing in all the universe has happened for me. I have discovered and experienced Jesus Christ. And I have an entire resume. My biographical sketch is just packed with all kinds of accomplishments, things that would uh, bring accolade from other people. But I count all of that as nothing compared to the treasure of knowing Christ Jesus. His heart, his life was full of joy, irrespective of circumstance, because he had Christ. Because the real God of the universe was really in his life and experience. And he's saying the same thing to his friends. I want you to rejoice. I want you to be full of joy because you know Christ. Christ is real to you. Christ has made a difference in you. Christ is doing things through you. Christ is making the eternity's worth of difference in and around you. Be full of joy about that. And then he said, uh, be considerate. It's an interesting word in the Greek language. It doesn't have any real English parallel. And so when you look at it in a dictionary, about five different words pop up, all trying to get at the connotation of be the kind of person who yields himself to the needs, to the concerns of others. Be other-minded. Be considerate. Now, you can do that because God has been so good to you. It's hard to give something out of your life to someone if you ain't got it. So his whole point is, you got it. So sit in that, soak in that, uh, enjoy that, rejoice, and then give that. Be other-minded, be yielded toward the needs of others, be considerate. And then he said in the third place, don't be anxious. Because you're going to undo everything that the rejoicing and the consideration uh, is working in you. Anxiety and worry, fretting, hand-wringing is this whole exercise of saying, I'm not sure how all of this is going to turn out and if I will be okay. He goes, the fact of the matter is, you're in God's hand, God's sovereign, God's control. You will be okay. You mean my circumstances will turn out exactly the way I want to? No. Not at all. Your circumstances may turn out exactly the opposite of how you want them to be. But that doesn't mean that God has abandoned you, and that doesn't mean that God is not at work. That means that God is at work in some other kind of way. And the whole matter of disappointments and how you deal with those difficulties and that kind of pain and so on, we dealt a lot with that Last week, so if you missed that, you might want to pick up that uh, CD on your way out today. But today the point is this. Paul's life was committed not only to the person of Christ, but to the glory of Christ. What we have said in here is that the most important thing that you need, the most important thing that I need in this entire universe, is Christ. And when He is glorified, 
A capacity is about him that uh, allows us to see him, to, to draw near to him, to uh, engage him. That's why he wants to be glorified. That's why he wants us to glorify him. Because it helps a deceived, distracted world to be able to find him, to take notice of him, to be drawn toward him. And so Paul's entire life is given to the glory of Christ because he wants everybody to be able to see Christ, find Christ, draw near to Christ, just like he did. That's why he could say in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ, to glorify him, to die as gain. I'll glorify him in my death. And so at that point, he's like, you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to worry. Because if your life is all about bringing glory to Christ, then anything and everything that happens to you will bring glory to him. You say, but Paul, you're in jail. Yes, and if God sets me free, he'll get glory. Yeah, but what if you get executed? Then I'm going to die seeing that as a gain, and if he's my gain in death, he'll get glory from that. I'm not dreading death. I'm not fearing death. I'm not trying to run away from death. I embrace death because it's a crossing over to more of him. And he's glorified. Now, listen, I know. You're wondering how that teenager is going to turn out. You're wondering how your marriage is going to turn out. You're wondering how your singleness is going to turn out. You're wondering how this career thing is going to turn out. It's a mystery. If you're doing it with Christ, then every aspect of it can be some point of experience of Him and His grace and reflecting His glory. And that is a win-win no matter the circumstance. And that's why we don't have to be anxious. That's why we don't have to worry. And then he said, be content. God has so worked in me that whether I have little or a lot, I have contentment. It is well with me. Now, What kind of life is it that God promises? Paul just told us. The kind of life that God promises is a life full of joy, considerate, without anxiety, and content. Anybody here want that kind of life? That's the kind of life that God promises Every one of his sons and daughters, irrespective of circumstance. They go, well, yeah, I think I'd be interested in that kind of life. Why is it that we can live that kind of life? Why is it that he would promise that kind of life to us? How does that come our way? Well, Paul said it happens because the Lord is near. Now, that was kind of ancient code for what we sometimes refer to today as the parousia. That is the the coming of Christ again, the second coming. And so Paul was convinced the coming of Christ is soon. The coming of Christ is near. You go, well, it's been 2,000 years, Paul. Did you get that wrong? Well, 1,000 years is as a day unto the Lord. You know, who knows? It's been a couple of days for Jesus. He's not too worried about when he comes back. But Paul, the point is had his life positioned in such a way that Jesus could come back any day. 
And therefore, I want to live with that sense of expectancy. I want to live on the edge of life as if He were coming tomorrow or as if I were going to Him tomorrow. And do you realize what living like that does for you? You can't settle into some kind of weird, slow obedience, also known as procrastination, or ultimately rebellion. This way of living where you think, you know, he could come back at any time, or I could go home to him at any time, breeds within you this sense of, I need to have a quick obedience. If God stirs me about something, I need to do it. If God has something He wants me to give toward, I need to give. If God has a word He wants me to say, I need to say. If God has a touch He wants me to extend, I need to touch. As soon as is reasonable, as soon as is possible. I'm not talking about becoming just, you know, under the tyranny of urgent things. But being highly responsive. He says, uh, we can live the life that He's promised us because He's near. He's coming. He's all around us. We live with that expectancy. He also said we can live that way because we can do all things through Christ. As He strengthens us. Verse 13. Now, maybe I'm being a little confessional at this point uh, when I make this kind of uh, expression, but when we talk about doing all things in the strength of Christ, we're not talking about Him as some kind of terrestrial can of spinach that we consume and suddenly we get these you know, tremendous muscles that are able to take on anything in this world. It's nothing like that. It's not about us having strength. It's about us having His strength. I can do all things through His strength. And so someone wounds me. Somebody hurts me. Somebody does wrong to me. And God says, you know what, I'm going to take care of that, but I want you to forgive. Listen, i got muscles for that. i got muscles for, I want to get even. Or I want to be mad and resentful and angry. He says, but I want you to release it. I want you to forgive. At that point, if I make a choice to forgive and say, okay, it's beyond me. I'm dependent upon you, but I'm going to lean into you to forgive this person. Then, his strength comes upon us to do something that was beyond us at that moment. And we can forgive. The same thing for generosity. God stirs you about being generous. And I don't particularly have generous muscles. But I make a choice that I will lean in that kind of way. His strength comes upon me to be generous. I could go on and on with every kind of scenario. But in verse 19... He then goes on to say, God will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now he says that right after, in verse 18, he affirms these Philippians for uh, supporting him through the years and more recently with a, a very generous financial contribution. And he says to them, what you have done, what you have just given, and he pulls back from the Old Testament, some Old Testament imagery, and he goes, what you have just done, what you have just given, it's just like you, you put an offering on the crackling fire of the altar in the temple, and it is wafting up as a fragrant aroma to God. 
what an awesome offering that you just did for God when you uh, gave and met my need. Here's what you need to know, verse 19. That same God will meet your needs, just like you met mine. That same God will meet your needs out of His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now let's think about that for just a moment. He will supply all of your needs. What are your needs? You go, well, I think I need this, that, the other. Listen, you may be in touch with some level of need that you have, but most of the time, most of us are not aware of the more significant needs that we have. And God's all over those. He knows what the more significant needs are that we have. In fact, some of the lesser needs that we have are there because we haven't addressed the greater needs. And he's, He gets it. And He knows that. And He wants to meet those needs from His glorious riches. Now, what are the glorious riches of God? You go, well, uh, streets of gold? Cattle on a thousand hills? No, 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 no. Way too low. The glorious riches are the person of Jesus Christ Himself. There's nothing more grand, more glorious, more precious, more important, more special, more delightful in the entire universe. And whatever there is beyond the universe, there's nothing greater than Jesus. And He says, I'm going to give you Jesus. Now, I know you were thinking, gosh, would, would he help me kind of meet the bills this week? Um, I've got this like health situation that I'm concerned about, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with that teenager, and i got this boss that's like driving me crazy. Those, that's real stuff, friends. But let's don't miss the highest tier of level of needs that we have. We need to hear God's voice more than we need air. I mean, when you begin to understand the need for His voice to get a word from Him as more important than the air that you breathe, you're beginning to get in touch with what your real needs are. We need God's presence more than we need the sunlight of day. And you know what a mess we get in when we don't have the sunlight of day. But we need His presence more than that. We need relationship with God more than the very blood in our veins. And God says, I'm going to give you, I am going to give you what you need. And oh yeah, uh, that financial thing, I can help with that. And a health thing, I can help with that. And that work thing, that kid thing, that family thing, that marriage thing. I I can be uh, a part of all that with you. But make sure you get me. Not just the things that I can do. So what kind of life is it that God promises us? It's a life that is full of joy, considerate, without anxiety, That is content. 
Why is it that we can have that? Because He's near. Because He brings His strength to bear at every point that we experience this life. Because He gives us all of the glorious riches that He has. Let me wrap up with this. How? How then do we live those life promises? Well, the first thing that Paul says is pray. And when he says prayer in just such a big generalized category like that, it really is more of the engage God. Converse with God. Talk with God. He's present. He's listening. He knows what's going on and stirring around in you. Listen, almost every day of the week, I come over to this property. And for those of you that are newer around here and don't know, right next door is our administrative offices, and then we have another warehouse that we have yet to develop that's on tap for us to to make into more ministry space. We call it Phase 2. And every day when I come into my office, I am reminded that Phase 2 is undone. It has yet to happen. And I get a little whacked out about that. Uh, and so for me to pray about that is, is to turn and, and to just tell God, this is what's going on with me about that, God. Um, I'm getting whacked out about that. And the, the great thing about God is He never asks for clarification, like, what does whack out mean? He just, He knows. And so He says, so why? You know, he get where I am. He goes, why are you whacked out? And I'll say, well, because... Our child, the people that do children's ministry, they're just like maxed at what they can do over here in this little corner space that we've got for them. We need to get them into this warehouse place and we need to develop it out so that all the children's stuff can happen that we're dreaming about. And there's another dozen ministries, by the way, Lord, that we're wanting to launch through that. And he goes, yeah, I know, I know. And, and I, I'm not sure how the funds are going to come for us to be able to do that. And I'm not even sure if it's on the mind of some people. And he's like, I, I know, I know. It's going to be okay. I'm, I'm like, well, how? How is it going to be okay? <laughs> and God kind of says to me, I'm going to put it on the heart of some people. I'm going to stir the hearts of some people. I'm like, well, but what if they ignore your stirring? What if they're not going to obey what you're... And then God says to me, so, is this about people obeying my stirrings or is this about you? And all of a sudden, prayer begins to change my life. Because in the conversation, I'm recognizing I don't just have this whole... Uh, sphere of concern about some ministry things, but I've got a whole sphere of personal concerns about am I going to be a successful pastor or a failure because people won't do this or that? Or He's like, what, what, what issue are you grappling with? Prayer changes our lives. That's how we get in on His promises. That's how we live the kind of life He says we can live because as we pray, it changes us. But specifically, He says, I also want you to do some petitioning. Older versions say supplication. In other words, ask me things. Ask me to do something. Now, 
obviously, friends, some of us may have a problem of not having any conversation with God and, and our entire prayer experience is gimme, 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 right? So if that's you, focus on that first piece. But for some of us, we won't ask God for anything. And part of that is, well, you know, we kind of have this false humility thing that says, I, you know, he's got a lot of stuff going on in the world. There's like six billion people, and there's all these problems, and, you know, I just wouldn't want to bother God. Well, come on. He's God. So it's a little bit of a false humility thing, and then, and then the rest of it is we play this self-sufficient game. You know, I'll just figure this out. I'll work this out. And, and, and he says to us, Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking me. You'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. You'll find. Keep on knocking. The door will be open to you. He told us in James 4, 2, you don't have because you don't ask. Whoa. So let me don't pass over the first piece, and that is the most important need we have is Him. If you don't have Him, ask Him for Him. He is so ready to give you Himself. But beyond that, with all the kinds of daily concerns and needs and and whatever that, that we all experience, call upon Him, ask Him for help. Now, I placed in your program a little insert that says something that I will ask of God. I put that up there on purpose. I, I'm going to invite you in the name of Jesus to ask God for something. Now, you may have, it, it may fall into a category of finances or health or relationships or the future, your parenting, whatever. But I'm going to encourage you right now as an act of faith and humility, I need Him. Put down a prayer request there. And a little bit later, we're going to have an offering. And you think, well, yeah, that's when I give some money. No, I'm going to invite you to give an offering of request to God. So you honor Him and you glorify Him when you uh, demonstrate you're going to count on Him to come through for things that are beyond you. You need wisdom. You need guidance. You need some uh, relational help to reconcile something. You need some healing, whether it's physical, emotional, mental. Ask Him. Step of faith, write it down. So, how do we live the life God promises? Prayer. Conversation with Him. Petitions where we ask Him things. And then He says, give thanks. Keep giving thanks to me until you cultivate a heart of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. Because friends, the minute we forget how good He's been to us and how much He's already done for us, we will not be calling upon Him in the way that I just invited us to call upon Him. So let me be very specific. We can thank Him for the things that we really like and that we've really enjoyed. We can also thank Him for the things that we didn't like and we didn't have a very high appreciation for. Because somehow in that experience, He became real to us and did something important in us. Are you following me? So I give thanks to God 
that my parents divorced and that I grew up in a broken home. Not because I'm grateful for divorce. God hates divorce. I hate divorce. I wish it had never happened. But God did something in me through a broken home experience that formed Christ in me that I am forever grateful about. And there's something in me that cares more, I believe, about your families and your marriages and your parenting and all that because I went through that stuff than I would have otherwise. So I give thanks for that. I give thanks to God that my brother died when we were small children. Now that is my greatest loss in my entire life. I'm not grateful that I don't have my brother today, but I'm grateful for how God intersected my life at that point. How He uh, enveloped me in my grief. How He did such an important uh, rescuing of my life from a point where I was uh, in danger of going crazy. And today, I feel like God's given me capacities to care about your grief, to walk with you in some of your grief because of what happened in my grief. And so I give thanks to Him for that. you follow what I'm saying? How do we live the life that He promises us to live? Pray. Talk to Him. Petition. Ask Him for things. And then give thanks for how you see Him at work in and around the circumstances. And then He says, when you do these kinds of things, the peace of God will come on you and it will guard your heart. And so this is how we live the life of promise. We live it with a guarded heart. Not one that we guard, not one that we like try to protect from other people getting to and we make it hard or whatever, but that we allow His peace to guard. And that's a huge difference, friends. There's an Old Testament story about a woman who uh, had been barren for all these years of her married life, and she wanted a son so badly, and she encountered the prophet Elisha on one occasion, and he sensed that God wanted to bless her, and so he prayed and, and, and said, God's going to give you a child, and within a year she had a son, and through the years the son grew up, he became a young man, he began to uh, help provide for the family. One day he's out in the field, he suddenly dies. Young man, just falls dead in the field. And she's crushed. She's broken. She doesn't even know how she's going to go on to live without her son that she had longed for for all those years and that God had given her. And so she goes seeking out the prophet Elisha. You remember this story? And when she is in the distance, she's found out that he is nearby and she goes to where he is. And when she's in the distance, he sees her coming. And when she gets there, he's like, woman, is it well with you? And she said, it is well. Now, friends, is that some kind of religious pretense? Where, you know, how's it going with you? Fine, fine. How's it with you? Fine. No. She knew the God that gave her that son. She knew the God who saw what happened when her son died. She knew the God that was going to hold her in that time of loss. She knew the God that was going to sustain her in the years that were to come. Is it well with you? It is well. I want my son. I'm grieving over my son. I, I can't stand the loss of my son. But it is well with me because I have God. Do you follow? That kind of peace guards your heart. And then finally, he says meditation. How do you live this life that he promises you? You've got to shape and train your thoughts. 
your way of thinking. And I don't have time to develop this, but he gives a whole list of the kinds of things you do in meditation. Now, meditation for Christians is this. You fill your mind with the scriptures and with the word of God regarding true things, honorable things, just things, pure things, lovely things, admirable things, excellent things. You don't just kind of wander and meander in your thoughts about those concepts. Go to His Word. Go in prayer and say, God, speak to me about what's true. Show me what's false. And so here's what I'm going to do, friends. I'm going to take what we've been doing today and make it a week-long experience for you via my blog. And I know some of you checked that thing out, some of you have never looked at it, but on the back side of your program, there's a little excerpt there that tells you about my blog. And I'm going to encourage you to go there every day this week. You don't have to the rest of your life. Just this week, and every day I'm going to write something of a meditative exercise for you on one of these aspects that Paul says meditate upon. And so if you go there today, you'll find what I've written about focusing on those things that are true. And I'll do something tomorrow on that, which is honorable, etc. And you can do that throughout the week. So, what are you going to do about this? Where do you go from here? What's the next step? I'm going to suggest these things. First, will you depend upon His promise? And I don't mean some big abstract way. I mean very specifically. What did you write down on that prayer card a minute ago? Will you depend upon His promises to save you, to be good to you, to guide you, to provide for you, to give wisdom and insight to you? What promise do you need to depend upon today? Not the whole, just one. What's just one promise? God I will depend upon you for this promise. Will you guard your heart with His peace? Where are you whacked out? What are you all scared and nervous about? Where's your anxiety? This step says, I will turn to Him, I will look at at Him, I will see what He has to say about this issue that I'm whacked out about, that I'm getting anxious about. And I will allow His peace to come to my heart and guard my heart about that. Will you meditate? Take me up on this offer to go and, and do a little exercise every day via the blog. Maybe it's something else that I haven't even mentioned. Let's bow together and pray. So God, your spirit knows where every one of us is right now. Where we have anxiety, where we have worry, where we have doubts, where we've called into question your goodness. And oh God, we're just dependent right now on your Spirit to communicate to our hearts 
what's true. Who are you? Who are we? Father, will you make this time as as people respond to you, as they take steps, will you make it a defining moment for us? Change us, transform us, continue to work Christ into us. We pray. Amen. Amen.